thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. AI has been making front page news all year and prompting some difficult questions. Do we really understand the potential of AI, especially the latest generative AI? To what extent is AI a threat to thousands, maybe millions of jobs? Or does it represent a real escape from mundane, robotic, low-skill work to higher value, more enjoyable activity? And for Apple Door listeners, in the context of telecom, are we on the brink of an incredible uptick in productivity and value? Or are we playing with fire? Most important of all, how do we actually proceed along the path that's being illuminated by AI? These are all great questions to ask Appledore's newest analyst, Roman Ferrando. Roman, welcome to the podcast and welcome to Appledore. Thank you, Robert. Pleasure being here. Uh, also rejoining us for this AI special is Appledore principal analyst, Patrick Kelly, who covers developments in the AI ops, analytics, and assurance software market. Patrick, welcome back. Yeah, great to be here, Robert. And uh, Roman, great to have you as part of the team. Uh, you bring a wealth of experience. So uh, uh, we're going to have fun fun together working on projects. And uh, again, welcome to the team. Thank you, Patrick. It's a great place to start. Roman, I think I'm right in saying that um, you know there, there are AI experts and there are telco experts, but there are very few AI in telco experts, but you're certainly certainly one of them. Can you give listeners a quick summary of your path to Appledore? Absolutely, Robert. So, well, I think I was one of those few individuals that coming from a telecom engineering background, just decided to focus to focus my academic research in analyzing network data. And, and we're talking 20, more than 20 years ago, where, uh, you know, uh, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence was not in the agenda of any CTO in this industry. And, and definitely very reduced to small groups in the academia and, and, and some research organizations. So, yeah, I think I, I kind of qualify as an outlier from, from that point of view. <laughs> um, I think in terms of journey. So I, I started doing apply data science and artificial intelligence uh, in, in Ericsson Research. And we were very focused in, you know, uh, doing advanced uh, traffic classification and identify anomalies that could be a potential threat for the network. Uh, performance here we're talking about situations like uh, cyber attack or um, network malfunctioning or performance degradation and that that particular group was one of the pioneers when it comes to doing uh, what it was called back in the day streaming analytics which essentially is doing analysis in, in near real time and this is we're talking 2006 um, and and we were already kind of involved in that kind of activities <clears throat> And then I left Ericsson Research in, in 2012. And since then, I've been, I've been, uh, you, you know, having different, uh, different positions from the product management and AI advisory for different companies like Micom, um, and Amdocs and OpenNet and Villan. And uh, five years ago, I decided to create, uh, with some, with some uh, colleagues from, you know, this, all this long trajectory in the field to create a company called Thinbook. And essentially 
what we were trying to do in ThinBook is, is give access to uh, forecasting capabilities and anomaly detection specifically for the network to anyone and not necessarily for data scientists. And, and now I'm here just, just trying to bring all this experience at the service of our customers. Great. It's a, it's a really interesting trajectory, you know, through this, this really complex market. But you've been, you've been hands-on, in the weeds, um, <laughs> product strategy, um, investment, investor management, investor relations. You, you think you've seen pretty much every aspect of, of this business. Very, very interesting. Gives you, gives you this holistic overview of what's going on in the market. This is a very dynamic market and changes very quickly. So mm. I, think, I think I was lucky. To, to having those views from the market from different perspectives. Patrick, I think that's a good, that's a good point to segue into you. I mean, you, you've been covering uh, kind of the applications of AI in, in telecom for, for quite a few years and, you know, what's happening in the market and so on. Um, I mean, could you give us a brief snapshot of like where, where telecom has been targeting the use of AI and, and to what extent those have been successful or, or not so much? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> When we look at the market for AI, uh, it, there's there's uh, there's a number of areas where investments have been occurring. Uh, clearly, in the customer experience area, sub- subscriber management, there's been a lot of activity, but also on the network side uh, to improve network anomaly detection. Uh, you know, a lot of operators are really looking at how do they run the network as hot as they can but at the same time not impact that customer experience. So network optimization is a big area, um, mostly because of the, you know, huge amounts of capital have been invested in the infrastructure. So, you know, it makes sense that operators are going to run the network, want to run the network a little bit hotter. Energy management is sort of a new area uh, that operators, at least in the last year or so, have been putting a lot of emphasis on how do they um, reduce the energy consumption of the services and what the network's delivering. Uh, and we're seeing some innovation there in the marketplace. So, you know, in the context of operators, it's across the board here in the U.S., Verizon's doing stuff to, specific to network anomaly detection, Bell Canada around network optimization. You know, elsewhere, you've got Vodafone, Telefonica, Turkcell, even uh Newer uh, mobile opera operators like Rakuten Mobile doing projects in this area. So I think, you know, there's a lot of early development here. And I would say, you know, in terms of uh, level of activity, that the information is being processed. Um, we're not quite sort of into how do I automate this uh, into operations? You still have humans sort of in the loop, but, you know, it's a great tool to be utilized uh, in these environments. And we're also seeing a lot of commercial products being developed on the supplier side. Uh, so you've got Nokia quite active in this space, Huawei, uh, IBM, and uh, companies like Ericsson. One of the things, you know, when we look at the market and we see what people are saying about, uh, about AI and vendors and operators, I mean, it, it comes across kind of fairly confident, um, but I'm wondering, you know, from what Patrick's saying, Maybe we still kind of got the training wheels on a, a little bit. Maybe a lot of activity, but it's it's still quite early stage. Based on your experience, Roman, uh, could we delve a little deeper on on some of the challenges that uh, that the industry faces in in really understanding AI and then uh, you know what that really means and, and then applying that? Some of the questions that we started with. 
Absolutely. So the first thing I want to say is that AI is a super, super powerful technology with the potentiality to change the world in, in ways that we cannot even imagine. So there's no hype on that side. So the potentiality is absolutely there. But potentiality and reality are two different things and not necessarily the same, right? <clears throat> Second thing I'd like to say is that normally AI is just a piece in the puzzle. So when we're talking about uh, problems that we can solve with AI, Normally, the, the algorithms and the model is just is just no more than 30, 40% of the entire solution. There are other aspects that we also have to consider. <clears throat> so AI, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely powerful, but, um, um, you know, it's, it's not the entire solution. Um, additionally, I'd like to say something that uh, it's kind of obvious, but uh, trust me when I say that sometimes it doesn't look so obvious. AI is doing absolutely nothing without data. So data is the blood of the solution. And without data, there's no knowledge we can extract. Uh, there's nothing we can get. And, and I see many times organizations jumping into the algorithm discussions and the model discussions without even analyzing or assessing if the data that they need is actually there, it's in the, in the right shape, it's available and accessible by data scientists, and, and we can put it to work. So normally, that data extraction and preparation is taking most of the time for any AI endeavor. And, and that's something that um, needs, to be, needs to be sometimes just reminded because, it, again, it sounds obvious, but at times it's not that obvious. Specifically in this industry, I think it's safe to say that one of the biggest challenges that we have is that there's a lack of understanding at decision-level making, decision-making level uh, about what AI is. And, and, and for many executives, actually, um, data scientists is just a, an evolved version of software developer. And, and that's a problem. So the, the common reaction when, when a new organization or organization starts to this journey to, to do things around AI is, is to identify the gap as a technical gap. It's just we need a group of data scientists that they will come and, and they will start to do fancy predictions and identifying anomalies and, and identify patterns and they're going to save millions of dollars just by doing that. Well, it is not that simple and having completely unrealistic expectations um, is, is one of the, those things that the, the industry is experiencing, unfortunately. The other thing is that data scientists normally, they are not telecom experts and uh, it's difficult to solve a problem if you don't really understand the problem. So, that, that, that comes to the conclusion that, uh, again, kind of obvious that the statistical truth are not necessarily business insights. So, for instance, if you're doing anomaly detection in the radio access network, 95% of the anomalies or abnormal behaviors that you will find, they are absolutely, um, means absolutely nothing. I mean, it's just part of the normal behavior for those cells or those areas. Even statistically speaking, they are uh, outliers. Okay, I think I think I, I I think we are in the process of, of evolving this industry, and we see some companies uh, launching new products with AI inside, and acknowledge the fact that AI is just one piece of the solution, and and addressing a very specific problem, rather than just having AI. Uh, platforms targeting the data scientists and you can do whatever you want. So the dynamics in the market is more focused on problems, specific problems with a very well articulated business case behind that and all the process of starting from, um, starting from data extraction and, and data, um, 
preparation to model training and model deployment. All that process is being kind of industrialized. And I think that is a paradigm shift that we can, we kind of see in the market already. Um, and I think it's part of the, of making this, this market more mature. If, if you ask my, my personal opinion. Yeah, Roman, let me just jump in because, uh, you know, I get this question quite a bit from clients and, you know, we are talking about a significant area of innovation. If I go back like 10 or 15 years ago and we take something like uh, network anomaly detection, um, you sort of had root cause analysis. There was some real innovation occurring using uh, like code book or signature values to sort of look at events coming into the system and then classify those events uh, and ultimately reduce the mean time to resolution. If we, you know, if we fast forward to today and we look at, you know, what's possible with, let's just assume you've got high quality data, you've done some decent classification of the business problem. If we, if we look at, let's say, subscriber anomalies, can you, you kind of take us through like what's different about using an ML model, uh, AI engine driven approach versus what, what was tried and true in the past, which is, you know, root cause analysis, signature, signature patterns. What, what's different about what we're seeing today versus, you know, tried and true technology from 10, 15 years ago? I think the algorithms that we have today, they have the capability to capture much more sophisticated problems and signatures that they were not able to, to be captured, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago. So now we have the capability to identify uh, dependencies uh, on the network that they were completely uh, blind for us uh, a few years ago. Um, so let's say that now we have this capability to have a much deeper view of what's going on in the network for different perspectives and get a much more accurate, um, much more accurate view of the reality in the network. If I have to put an analogy from the medical world, uh, imagine an X-ray. And an X-ray is something that we have in the early 20, in the, in the 20th century. <clears throat> and it's able to capture some problems. Uh, if, if you have a, a broken bone, absolutely, and, and X-ray is going to capture those things, right? But then we got the MRI. And what is the difference between the MRI and X-ray? Essentially, with an MRI machine, you can get much more precise view of what's going on in the network and giving you much more details about what is the root cause of that problem. So this level of sophistication is what we're getting at the moment that we were not able to achieve a few years ago. It, I, I guess one of the other things when I when I kind of look at how this market's evolving, we're we're talking about implementation of you know how the application's actually going to work and the models themselves, but we sort of have some other dynamics as well because we still sort of have this fundamental problem of data silos, right? You've got you've got different data in different different departments, uh, so you sort of step into okay, are we back into a data warehouse data warehouse initiative or how do you start uh, sharing this this uh, treasure trove of data across the organization at large? Well, that's that's a kind of classic problem, right? And particularly in this industry where we've been living in data silos for a long time, and and then integrating integrating different data sources uh, is, is a big challenge. I just I just want to comment on what you say because I think it's extremely important. Most of the principles, theoretical principles that we apply now in, in artificial intelligence, they're not new at all. They've been around for more than 100 years. The difference that we have now 
is the computing power is completely unprecedented, but also the availability of data is absolutely unprecedented. So now we can put to work those principles and levels of data with this computation power that we never seen before. So we can, we can get conclusions with a level yeah. of detail that we never imagined before. That takes me to, a, to another question, Patrick, in relation to, to generative AI. I think what, part of what Roman's referring to there, you know, we've seen played out with the whole large, large language model activity recently, the, the vast amounts of data, vast amounts of computing power, plus the techniques that have been, been known about in principle. I know you've been posting on LinkedIn about some of the, some of the effect of, of generative AI um, on, on companies evolved across the whole value chain, you know, computing as well as the, you know, the software technology and so on. And, and we've seen, you know, statements from some companies, you know, BT is one, you know, about the effect of, of how they plan to leverage generative AI, specifically making that connection to, you know, reduction in, in staffing levels and so on. So I mean, the question I have for you is, do you think that these kind of public statements about, uh, you know, adoption of generative AI, should they lead to, you know, greater confidence in, in the future value of telecom companies and, and vendors? Or, or is that is that too soon? You know, are we, is that all tied up with the kind of the danger of AI washing in the industry, you know, really led by generative AI as the, the arch, you know, offender in that, yeah. in that process? Or, or you know, what, what do you think we're, we're doing there? Well, I think, so Robert, you're keying off of something. So, you know, the question is, is, is this hype or something real? And I do think there's some froth in the marketplace, right? So if you, if you kind of step back and you say to yourself, uh, what, what NVIDIA has done, are they, are they worth a trillion dollars on the market cap? Um, Perhaps, but that's like future growth, right? Um, that, that those sort of valuations are tremendous. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's only like four or five companies that are, you know, uh, above a trillion dollars on valuation. So, um, you know, one of, you know, I'll just argue both points. Like on the hype side, if you take a company like C3 AI, right? They've been around a while. They changed the name of the company. Uh, and, you know, all of a sudden, the, you know, when you look at, you just take a look at C3 AI from the beginning of this year, uh, when everybody got excited about the introduction of uh, Open, AI, Open AI and ChatGBT, uh, their stock went from 11 bucks a share to the high 30s today. Um, so let, let's think about that. They added $3 billion in their market cap over the last six months on an annualized basis of $250 million in, in sales. Uh, and they're not generating a profit. So, you know, on that side, I would say, hey, there's there's a lot of hype in the marketplace. And I'm just, you know, I'm pointing them out as sort of the poster child. But, you know, you look across the board, we've seen huge multiple expansion on anybody that has pivoted into AI or has, you know, formally we would call them a data analytics company. And now we're just saying, oh, they, they, they've got some. Uh, secret sauce and, you know, they're going to be the next trillion dollar company. So there's a little bit of that. On the other side, I, you know, is it something real? I think, you know, to some of the points that Roman was making earlier, we are seeing some really uh, creative solutions make their way into the marketplace. So, uh, and I know you've looked at the open RAN market, a lot of uh, fertile, innovative activity there. Um, we're seeing some interesting Solutions come to market with companies like uh, Cohere Technologies, companies like Pyworks, Tuple. So we we are seeing um, you know smaller companies sort of innovate in this marketplace and come up with 
solutions that are not, you know, haven't been available from the larger suppliers. And I think that offers some, uh, you know, some promise and uh, in the in the marketplace and actually some benefits to the, you know, to the end user, which in this case would be the uh, the operators themselves. You're kind of arguing, as you said, you're arguing both both cases. It, it can be it can be froth and it can be railroad at the same time. I guess that's, that's the market we're in. Rowan, it, it does take you back to that that point. You know, it, we are seeing by implication some AI washing in the industry. Like, are, are there some basics that you look out for as, as someone who really understands the technology? That, you know, what what do you look for in company A? You know, versus company B? You know, when they're saying, "Hey, we're an AI company. We've got an AI solution." Are there some are there some easy pointers that you can that you can offer to the, the audience for how to spot how to spot? Uh, you know, when they're well, <laughs> when they're oversold. It's one of the things that we do from the AI practice. Um, you know, in Apple Door, but um, yeah, I think I think uh, to the Patrick's point, one size doesn't fit all here, right? So. If you take a look at companies like DeepMind, for instance, where they're doing amazing things and OpenAI, absolutely amazing things, uh, just just from the uh, pure uh, financial performance indicators, they are not making money. They're not making money yet, but mm-hmm. they are developing technology that is gonna is gonna. If you ask my personal opinion, it's gonna have a tremendous impact in the way that we see the world. But still, there's high risk, and it's gonna be a long run. So it's not gonna happen tomorrow. Okay, so that's one one group of companies, if you want to call it that way, uh, particularly in telco. Well, uh, there are two big families of companies active in the AI space. So we have the traditional telco players that they are incorporating AI capabilities. And then we have the AI companies mostly created, um, you know, no more than 10 years ago, uh, just trying to get into the telco space. And <clears throat> the reality is that Yes, uh, it's it's clear that some companies they have uh, uh, good stuff, they have things working, they they know exactly what they need to make it work. But there's also a significant number of companies that they're potentially overselling their capabilities and making value statements completely unjustified, and that's that's a big problem because in most of the cases customers are not in the right situation to assess which one is more realistic than the other. Because it's just a new technology, and and I think uh, it's it's important to have the right advising and and spot the situations in which you're just uh, getting into a very adventurous activity uh, with high risk, or you're targeting a realistic uh, project or business case in which you can get uh, some value from it. Okay. Yeah. I, so just just as a follow up on the AI washing. Because I see it quite a bit with suppliers, and this is not this is not unsurprising, right? So you, you get companies like when when five G was making its way in the marketplace, you just had marketing departments. Everything was around five G and network slicing, and you get sort of the five G washing. We're seeing it now with AI. I mean, companies that uh, essentially are taking products that they already have in the marketplace and rebranding them. Um, I think, you know, for buyers, you really got to hold your suppliers, uh, you know, you, you got to hold them accountable for, okay, if you're promising these sort of business outcomes to the point you were making earlier, uh, Roman, you know, if you're going to reduce mean time to resolution from, you know, say two hours to 30 minutes, um, show me the proof points here. Where have you been deployed? What customers have you been deployed? And, you know, how, how is this technology working versus older 
techniques. You know, we talked about network anomaly detection. There's absolutely nothing wrong with rules-based event processing. That's still going to be applicable. Uh, but for the more difficult um, transient problems, you may want to apply AI uh, and come up with a different solution. Uh, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's a bit of a disservice just to, you know, uh, AI wash your product portfolio and you really haven't developed anything new or innovative. Yeah, it's not, that doesn't doesn't really help the help the cause. There is a there is a cause here, which is you know making more intelligent decisions and informed decisions and faster and so on. But uh, I, I think you're, you're saying the industry has a responsibility to to behave itself and, and not uh, not get overexcited. <laughs> Absolutely, I would just I would just just a very uh, piece of advice, uh, very very small. But I will just try to identify the situations in which a product is or some consultancy services are sold like a product. And in reality, there's no product. It's just a practice or a method. And that that's something that, um, you know, it's it's kind of a risky activity. One, one thing that I wanted to um, raise in the remaining time that we have, I guess I'll put it to you, Roman, on this. Well, I, I saw that there was a recent CNBC technology uh, council survey and one of the things I found interesting is it reported that 40% of the CFOs are evaluating AI technology. Uh, 32% are actually accelerating their investments. And then you have 18% of the CFOs have no plans at all to invest in AI. Yeah, um, because they did it before, yeah. probably. <laughs> okay, but that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but I guess, you know, interested in your take, um, you, you know, sort of coming back to hype versus reality, um, if we kind of look forward and we say, okay, in the next three years, where are we uh, with this technology? And is it a mistake, mistake to just be on the sidelines if you're a CFO or even a CEO or somebody in the C-suite and just wait for this technology to mature? Or, or, or are you taking a risk on the business? Uh, because your competitors uh, outflank you. I think I think uh, the AI voice at C-suite has to be heard, and it has to be represented some somewhere, somehow. And at this point in time, it is not, unfortunately. And one of the things that I witness, um, unfortunately, is some CFOs just refusing to keep investing in something without a clear return of that, just just for the sake of investing in a cool technology. Um, and that's something that uh, it happened. And, and many of our customers invested a lot of money on technology just because it's apparently the right technology to invest in. And you don't want to uh, have the risk of stop being competitive because you don't have that piece. But if you take a look at the return and what is the value out of it, it's very limited. So what I'm trying to say is, yes, investment has to be there. The technology has enormous potential but we need to review the way we did it in the past because unless we are much more realistic in the value that we can get in the short, medium, and long term, our investor is going to fail. That That's basically my view of the situation. Mm. Roman, I'd, I'd like to finish up with, with a, a kind of roundup question. I know I know you've only just arrived um, in Apple Door. We, we've got some big plans on research. You've got some research coming out shortly mm. and we we'll certainly look forward to that. 
you've touched on you know one of the key questions uh, there about investment, but but give us a, a kind of quick checklist. What are the other sort of key questions that you're going to be helping Appledore customers you know, try to answer uh, in and around this whole enormous and enormously important topic? So as 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 we were saying, I think we already kind of touched some of the points in the during the conversation. So what we're trying to achieve in our AI, AI group in um, in, in Appledore. It's, it's to help our customers to navigate through this process of uh, putting AI to work and producing value safer and, and just avoid situations in which uh, you find projects, uh, endless projects just stuck because the data was not available or just because we have some data integration prob- uh, problems or because the outcomes that we get from that project are not directly applicable to our network. So I, I think, I think we, 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 the role that we see ourselves playing with our customer is more like a partner helping uh, to navigate through this process. And we focus our offering and activities in four different or key pillars, if you want to call it that way. So one is the, uh, the challenges that we have when it comes to culture and leadership. I mean, how organization or, or organizational culture is preventing or is impacting the success of some AI uh, initiatives. The other thing is orchestrating technology and people and what type of people and what type of technology is the right thing or we have to uh, incentivize in order to be successful with AI endeavors. The the other thing that's super important then is assess your AI maturity and readiness, how ready you are to actually jump into the algorithms and training models for which problems you know the problem. Do you know the data that we need? Do you have the cons- data consolidation and data governance policies in place? That's the all the access that we have. And finally, what we do is we very focus and we have a framework uh, to, to go through these processes. We need to select the high value use cases and do a realistic assessment. So when we help in a customer, when we engage with a customer, f- first thing we do is to evaluate which use cases are going to be more value in the short, medium, and long term? And what are the challenges or what are the obstacles that we have and it's preventing us to deliver value in each of those problems that we see in other customers? They, they, they are real problems. Okay. Essentially, this piece of research that you uh, referring to is, is the first, the first uh, one. So we're going to have a series of uh, research notes that are going to all um, um, dancing around all those four pillars that I just described. No, and that's great. I think you've I think you've explained in a really excellent way. You know why the combination of technical expertise in AI and the technology is so essential to 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 combine with that telco domain expertise and, and that business context um, and, and helping people you know be informed and make the right decisions and not get swept swept away in the uh, in the froth. Uh, gentlemen, I, I know we're going to be talking a lot more about this in uh, in future episodes and in the research. Um, thank you both so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch you on another episode very soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. Excellent. You have been listening to the Appledore Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of telecom.